Welcome and thank you for tuning in to the Grove Church Podcast. My name is Pastor Nick and I have the honor and privilege of pastoring the Grove Church right here in Fontana, California. Here at the Grove, our vision is to see our community grow closer to Christ, be givers like Christ, and reintroduce the lost to Christ. And my prayer is that as you listen to this message, you will be encouraged, you'll grow a little in your faith, and you wouldn't just hear the word, but you would become a doer of the word. But I wouldn't just stop there. I encourage you to share this message with your friends, family, coworkers, neighbors, and anyone else you can think of. And after you do that, follow us on social media and visit our website at yourgrovechurch.org to learn more about who we are as a ministry and how you can get involved and plugged in right here at The Grove. I'm excited for you to hear this message. I can't wait. So get your notes ready and let's dive all the way in together. All right, John chapter six, verses one is where we're going to start today. We're going to look at John chapter six. We're going to look at verses one through 14. Uh, John chapter six, verses one through 14. We'll start there and then we will jump into this word. So here's what it says. It says, sometime after, after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee. That is the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? This is Jesus asking a question. Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. So Jesus is asking the disciples this question, and he already knows what he himself is going to do. But he wants to see, based on the question that he asked, he wants to see what is going to be the response of the disciples. Verse six again, he asked this only to test him for he only for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Verse seven, it says, Philip answered him, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Next verse, verse eight, it says another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far would they go among so many? So he asked a question to his disciples. Two of them answered. The first one says, like, where are we going to get enough for all these people? And then the second one basically says, well, there's a boy. He has some fish and loaves, but that's not going to feed all these people. And so do you think they passed the test that Jesus had for them in the moment? Yes or no? Do you think they passed the test? Some head nods for no. All right, we'll find out. So verse 10, it says, Jesus said, have the people sit down. Look at your neighbor and say, sit down. Have the people sit down. There, were, there was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. Look at your neighbor and say, be obedient. So Jesus says, sit down. Those who sat down and heeded his command were fed. He gave them the loaves, gave them the fish. He multiplied it and they got as much as they 
want it. This is not our message, but I think there's something to say about when we are obedient and when we do what Jesus commands us, Jesus is able to do more than what we could expect and more than what we want. The disciples here and the people amongst this crowd, they listen to what Jesus has to say. And when he says sit down, they sit down. But then what happens after that is important for us to catch in that they were fed as much as they wanted. So as much as they could stomach, Jesus gave them. That's also something to say about our appetite for Jesus. As much as you want, he is able to fill you up. As much as you crave for the things of the spirit, as much as you crave for the things of God, Jesus will give you that and some. So it says, he did the same with the fish as well. Verse 12, when they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. Verse 13, so they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. Final verse, verse 14, after the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely This is the prophet who has come to the world. All right, so here's my message title for today. The title of this message is Don't Quit Your Day Job. Look at your neighbor and say, don't quit your day job. Lord, we thank you for today. We thank you for this message, Lord. Let it be delivered the same way that you've given to me, God, full of life, full of encouragement, full of your spirit, Lord. Lord, I pray that we wouldn't just hear it, but we would become doers of this word. Let every single person who hears this message, God, let them walk in obedience to what you have to say. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, don't quit your day job. Don't quit your day job. This is important, and we'll talk about what this all means. Uh, but here's, here's how uh, I came about this message. So yesterday I was doing some painting, and I found myself in the middle of painting thinking, you know what? This is not for me. That's, have you ever had that thought? Have you ever started out to do something and you thought, man, this is going to be fun and we can do it. I know a lot of people are doing DIY projects and you get started and you think, wow, this is going to be awesome. The first five minutes of the project is great. The first five minutes you think, oh, I'm going to, oh, this is going to look so great when it's done. But about the halfway point of the project, you start to realize this is, this is not for me. Like this is, I can do a lot of different things and I can learn a lot of different things if I put my mind to it. I can be pretty good at it, but painting is not one of those things. I realized quickly that this is not something that if I could make this decision all over again, that I would do again. Instead, I would have just called the professionals to finish the job. I realized that I was getting frustrated in this moment for having to paint these two rooms, not to mention there's a third room that has to be painted at a later date. And in my mind, I'm thinking, I think this might be it. I think we're going to do these two rooms and this is going to be done because I was getting frustrated throughout the entire process from taping things off to actually painting to the cleanup. I realized like this is just not for me. I did not find it fun at any point throughout the job. Not at all. And, and, and getting started and thinking about doing it, it's like, oh, I could do this. It's probably be all right. But I had zero ounces of fun in painting these rooms. And it's mainly because I think for me, it's just you can't control paint. 
Like, it, it's going to go wherever it wants to go. No matter how hard you try to get in the corners and make it straight, no matter how much tape you use, there's always going to be a section of it that's not as perfect as you thought. And because I can't control where this paint goes and how messy it gets, I think that's part of the reason why it just wasn't fun for me. But while I was getting frustrated and I was getting upset and I was getting angry and I thought like, man, I should just quit right now. I feel like God was saying something to me in the moment that I was catching that kind of set the stage for this message, don't quit your day job. And one of the things that God was telling me was you are not a professional. Look at your neighbor and say, you are not a professional. No matter how hard you try, you cannot become a pro at something in just one day. I, this is the first experience having to paint. I've never painted a room before in my life. And I thought, okay, I'll watch a couple of YouTube videos and I'll be great. And it'll be, it'll be the best paint job anyone has ever seen. And I felt like God was telling me in the moment, no, that's not how it works. You are not a professional. And it's okay that you're not a professional because this is not what I called you to do. Have you ever had that experience where you start off to do something and you think like, man, I, I can do this. I can nail this. I'll be all right at this. I can get good at this. And then you quickly realize like, nah, this is, this is not my calling. And the area that is your calling, you feel like you have the most, uh, you, you feel like you have the most knowledge about it. You feel like that is the best thing that you can do and that nobody else can do it as well as you. But when you step out and you do something that is not what you are called to do, oftentimes you feel that frustration. And I feel like we have these moments in day-to-day -day life where we're trying to do something, we're trying to be someone that God never called us to be. And when we do that, it only sets us up for frustration, for failure, for anger. And then we start getting upset at people that we didn't intend to get upset with. And we start taking our anger out on other people when if we just took a step back and realized you are not a professional, AKA you are not called to do this, once we realize that, then we can take the pressure off of ourselves. And I feel like that's what, what was happening to me yesterday. Felt like once God was telling me, listen, you're not a professional. And I realized, you know what? You're right. I am not a professional. I watched two YouTube videos and I watched YouTube videos of an individual who had been doing this for 20 years. And here I am watching a video for someone who has made this their life's work, thinking I could pick this up in, in two videos and I'll be a professional myself. Once I had that realization that I am not a professional, I think that's when all this pressure was released and I felt like, you know what? I'm gonna do the best job that I can do here and not hold myself to some high expectations because I'm trying to produce good work that is not what I'm called to do. This is, this is how we deal with life sometimes in general. I don't know about you, but I get so frustrated with things that when, when they're out of my control, when I can't control certain things, when I can't control certain outcomes, I get so frustrated. And when I try to fix things and I can't impact the outcome the way that I was hoping for, I get so frustrated. And we're at a time in life where, where things have felt so chaotic and uncertain and some things feel very indefinite, like there's no end to this. I think as we, as we think about some of the experiences over the last few years, I've started to hear this question or people ask this a lot more often, like when is this gonna be over? When is this gonna be done? And so it feels very much like you have no control over certain situations 
that happen. And when we have no control, it creates a lot of worry and it creates a lot of fear at times. So what do we do when things are out of our control like they have been? Or for me in painting, what do you do when this is out of your control? This is not what you were called to do. One of the things that we have to remember is that we shouldn't quit our day job. And this is simply just uh, a metaphor, if you will, of not walking away from your calling, not forgetting the thing that you are called to do, but remembering that you are not called to control everything around you. You are not called to play that position. That's not your role. Your role is to allow God to do what he does and you take the back seat and allow him to lead. That is our role. And so look at your neighbor and say, don't quit your day job. This saying don't, and why this is relevant, this saying don't quit your day job is oftentimes used in like a humorous manner to say, uh, or, or, you know, when advising someone not to pursue something at which they are unlikely to be successful. And so when someone who can't sing says, you know, I'm going to start a career in the music business, you might look at them and say, I, don't quit your day job. Or someone who tries to become a painter who has never painted a room in their life, and after they see that streaky wall, you might say, I, I, I wouldn't quit my day job if I were you. Or someone who, who wants to be a dancer and they, they, they love and they're passionate about dance, but they have no rhythm. You might say, like, I, I, would, I would probably stick to your day job. And so oftentimes it's used in this humorous manner. Um, last week I shared this quote uh, that, that has really resonated with me in life um, in our message from last week. But I wanted to share it again. And it's this quote that when we do things we don't do well, things don't go well. And I feel like that is so important when we start thinking about when things are out of our control and what our response is to those, to those times. And so when things are out of our control, when we can't impact the outcome the way we want to, what we have to remember is that it was never intended for us to be in control. And when we try to assert our control, when we try to do things that we don't do well, things will never go well. And so you will always feel like you are behind the eight ball, so to speak, trying to manage things that are out of your control when you were never intended to be in control. When we try to control the outcome in life, things don't go well. We were not created to control the things of life or to worry about them. That's, that's not the position that we're supposed to be playing. Instead, it is God who sustains and keeps everything around us moving. The Bible says that he, he watches over its word to ensure that it becomes and performs the thing that he called it to be. So it is not our role or our job to be in control. It is God's solely. Isaiah chapter 45, verse five through seven, it says, I am the Lord and there is no other Apart from me, there is no God. I will strengthen you. You're not gonna strengthen yourself. No matter how many weights you lift, no matter how much physical lifting you do, that, that does nothing for your spirit. God says, I will strengthen you. Though you have not acknowledged me, so that from the rising of the sun to the place of its setting, people may know there is none beside me. I am the Lord and there is no God. Other. It continues on, it says, I form the light and create 
darkness. He's basically just saying, this is all me. All that you experience, everything around you, why there is night and day, why there is all these different seasons, spring, summer, fall, winter, all of that is me. I control all of that. Continues on, it says, I bring prosperity and create disaster. In other words, he's saying, I bring life and there is also, that is also in my control. I bring prosperity and create disaster. I, the Lord, do all these things. In other words, God is in control. There's nobody else. There's nobody beside him. There's nobody before him. There'll be no one after him. There is no one currently who stands a chance against God. You don't stand a chance. And so it is better that things are not in your control and that they are in God's control. And when we are living in a time where we want to control everything that's going on and we want things to go back to this quote unquote normal, well, the only normal that exists, the only thing that remains constant is God. We should always expect life to change, evolve, and things become new or different. That is outside of our control, but there's a reason for that. And the reason is so that we don't become complacent in what we do on a day-to-day basis. That is why it's in God's control. Because if it were up to us, we would do the same things every single day because that is where we are comfortable. But not only is that, not only is it important for us to step outside of our comfort zone, but it's important for us to allow God to control everything that happens. Here's what A.W. Tozer says. It says, it is God who works in us and through us. If only we would let God do his work. I'll say that again. It is God who works in and through us. If only we would let God do his work. And so here we are trying to do God's job, trying to control all the things around us when God actually wants to use you and work through you, but you are not allowing him to because you keep stepping in his place trying to control things. We try to figure out how to, how, you know, there's, there's coronavirus and, oh, if we just stay in the house and, you know, this and that, we'll, we'll be all right. But even that is not working these days. And we spent a lot of time in the last few years trying to figure out how to change the reality of the things that we see, whether it's uh, racial equity, whether it's, you know, this virus, whatever it is, there's been plenty of people who have tried to play this position of taking control and being in charge when really as a world, we are looking for God and we don't even know it because we're looking for peace and we're looking for comfort and we're looking for healing and we're looking for life and and this renewed sense of, of passion and invigoration. All of that is contained within Jesus. We're looking for Jesus, but yet we are in the way because we're trying to do his job. So we have to remember, don't quit our day jobs. It is God who works in and through us. If only we would let him, if only we would let him. In other words, God is better at his job than we are at ours. And we have to do our job and let him do his. We have a specific part to play in all of this. You have a part to play. You have a job to do, but if you're so busy trying to do God's job, you'll miss out on your blessing because you're out of position. So what does this mean? What does it mean to effectively continue doing what we're supposed to do and play in our positions? Here's here's two points that we're gonna make today. The first one is this. The first one that we need to keep in mind is that we can do what only 
you can do. That is it. And I love this very simple phrase, and I try to tell this people all the time. When people at work are concerned or upset about certain things, I remind them, do what only you can do. When there's certain people who aren't performing as well as they should be performing, and they ask like, well, how do I get better? How do I, how do I make, the, you know, make the curve and pivot and, and do better in performance? I remind them, do what only you can do. Stop worrying about all the other things, all the other variables that you can't control and do what only you can do. And that's a reminder for us today that we have to do what only we can do and stop trying to do all of the extras. Here's what John chapter six Verse five through 10 says, again, says, when Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? That was the question. And, and, and look, at, look at Philip's response. He said, uh, Philip's response was, uh, he was focused more so on the how, right? Because here's how Philip answered. He said, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. So Philip is focused on the how. Look at your neighbor and say, that's not what he asked him. Jesus wasn't asking Philip how we were going to do this. Jesus's question was, where? Where shall we buy the bread? And of course, we know already from the text that it was a test, that he was testing Philip. But Philip's response, he didn't pass the test. Jesus said, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? Jesus was looking for Philip to respond by faith. And yet he and Andrew, who jumped in as well, they were both responding from a place of doubt. And so instead of responding from faith, they were responding from a place of doubt. And they both felt the test because they were both focused on the how. And all Jesus needed them to worry about was where, right? That is what he asked them. He didn't ask, how shall we feed all of these people? He said, where are we going to buy the bread? Meaning, I know how we're going to do it. That is my focus. That is my job. Your job is to tell me where. Where are we going to get the supplies to feed all of these people. In other words, they were more focused on whether it could be done, period, as if they had to worry about the miracle, right? And that's how we act sometimes. We worry so much about our problems and things that happen on a day-to-day -day basis as if it is in our control to have the miracle happen, as if it is in our control to cause the miracle. And that is what Philip and Andrew were worried about. They were worried about producing the miracle themselves instead of simply doing their part. And that is by responding to Jesus based on the question that he asked with faith. And so when things go wrong in our life on a day-to-day -day basis, it's not about the how. We, are, we shouldn't be concerned about how this is gonna happen. Lord, how are you gonna change this? How are you gonna do this? How are you gonna get me out of this? That's not what we should be worried about. We should be worried about two things, the where and the when. Where is this miracle, miracle going to take place? When is this miracle going to take place? Because what that tells us is that our faith is operating in full capacity in the moment. We're not worried about if or how it's gonna be done, what we're concerned about is when. And that says that this will happen. I'm looking forward to this miracle. And that is what faith looks like. We might find ourselves in the same boat where Jesus is testing our faith from time to time. And I don't know about you, but I feel like 
My faith over the last few years has been tested. There's so many things that have gone on, so many things that have happened. And you probably have asked the same question, like, all right, Lord, what's going on? What are you doing? Why is this happening? And so we might, be, we might find ourselves in a similar position where God is testing our faith, but we can do what only we can do. So what can we do? We can not be unsettled by the trials. That's what we can do. What else can we do? What we can do is we can make sure our faith stands firm. That's within our control, right? That I am, that I am accountable for my faith. I am accountable for what I believe. If I'm going to do what only I can do, I'm going to trust in, believe in God, and my faith is going to stand firm. What else can we do? What we can do is we can be obedient to his call. We can do our job. The thing that he's called us to do, we can do that thing. Whatever it is, whatever God has called you to do, whatever God has put on your heart, do that thing to his fullest capacity. What else can we do? What we can do is we can exercise our faith. So when the going gets tough, we don't get going, but we sit and we focus on how God can change the difficult times. When our faith is not operative, our motto is when the going gets tough, I get going. We start to run and we start to flee and we get out of position. But what we have to do is we have to stand firm, exercise our faith. What else can we do? What we can do is we can believe he who says he will do it, will do it. We can trust his word. What we can do is we can be strong and courageous. The same thing he tells Joshua before the people of Israel cross over into the promised land. Be strong, be courageous. Have I not commanded you to do this? Be strong, be courageous. What we can do is we can trust God in every aspect of our life. We can pray and ensure that what we're asking for aligns with his word. What we can do is we can resist the devil and his deceptive plan to make us lose hope. We can do all of these different things and that equates to us doing what we can do. We can't worry about everything else. What we have to do is what we can only do. And we have to let God fill in the gaps everywhere else. This, this point of doing what only you can do is about position. It's about your position. It's about staying in your position. It is about where you are graced at. What are you graced to do? You can't step out of that grace zone. Whatever you've been called to do, you have to play that position. Paul puts it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 5 through 9. He says, what after all is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe. As the Lord has assigned to each his task. I'll say that again. The Lord has assigned each his task. Paul says, I planted the seed. Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So everybody is in their position. Paul plants, Apollos waters. They worry and let God do all the growing. They worry about their roles, planting, watering, and they allow God to produce the harvest. So neither one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. Only God who makes things grow. So as much as you might want to change the things around you, only God makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. You have a purpose. 
And you will have to stand before God and give an account for whether or not you fulfilled that purpose. You will have to stand before God and give an account about whether or not you did what he called you to do. And you will be rewarded based on your labor and accomplishing the purpose that God has put on the inside of you. Paul continues, he says, for we are co-workers in God's service. And so if I'm not doing my job, then I'm a terrible co-worker, right? In order for me to be employee of the month, I have to play my position. I have to do what God has called me to do and allow God to do his thing. We are co-workers. It is not my responsibility to plant, to water, and to cause it to grow. That's not my job. My job is to plant and water. My job is to be faithful to those two things. That is it. My job is to be faithful to believe what God said in his word. My job is to be faithful that he will, uh, he will, he will cause these things to come to pass. My job is to be faithful to praying, to reading his word, to trusting in him, to meeting and gathering with other like believers. That is my job. I am purpose for those things and I have to let God do the other things. Paul reminds us of this, that the Lord has assigned each of us a task. And so we can't be concerned with doing things that don't fall in line with that task or our purpose. If we're not doing what we are called to do, then we are out of position. When we are out of position, we can only expect to be rewarded based on our unwillingness to do our job. Have you ever met a coworker who, uh, who was always complaining? They're always complaining about something. Oh, why didn't I get this position? Or why didn't I get this increase? Or why, or why is it taking so long to do this? And why do we have to be here today? And I'm about to leave early. When you have someone like that who's complaining or procrastinating, we can't expect things to always go our way. Even for that person, if they're not willing to do their job, then they can only expect to get what they are putting out. And when I'm procrastinating and when I'm not in position and when I'm not doing my job, I can only expect to get whatever I put into the job. If we're not willing to put the work in by continually planting and watering over and over and over, then God, how can God produce the harvest for us? We're expecting God to do things, but we're not willing to do our part. So we got to remember to do what only you can do. The next point is this. This is our last point. The next point is that we have to trust God to do what you can't. Trust God to do what only he can do. So I can't worry about the things that I can't control. I can't worry about what I can't do. I have to allow God to do that part. I have to trust God to do what I can't. And this is all about submission right? This is all about submitting to him and allowing him to take the lead and saying, you know what? I'm going to serve you. I am going to be submissive to the mission that you have, the call that you have for me. I'm going to allow you to do what only you can do. Trust God to do what you can't. In John chapter 6, verse 5 through 11, we read this a little earlier. We'll read it again here for, for message sake, but it says, when Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy the bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. 
So here we see that even though Jesus is including us and we are co-workers with him, he already has in mind what he is going to do. Even in asking Philip this question again, it was just a test. Jesus already knew what he was about to have happen in the moment, but he wanted to see whether or not Philip would pass the test. This point of trusting God to do what you can't, it's all about faith. It's all about trusting. It's all about pride. It's not, it's not about pride, but it's about humility, right? It's about this humility and saying, I can't do everything. I can't do everything. For me, with like the painting, it's a little bit of a prideful moment of like, I'm going to paint these two rooms. and I'm going to do a really good job at it, as opposed to just allowing somebody else to take care of it. I had to realize in the moment, I can't do everything. I can't. While I would love to, and I would love to be an expert at many things, I can't do everything. And that's the position that we have to play. We have to submit to God knowing like, listen, I can only do what you've called me to do. I can't do everything. I can't cause this to grow. So I have to submit myself to you. Submission is all about humility. It's about meekness. Submission, one of the definitions is the action or fact of accepting or yielding to a superior force or to the will or authority of another person. And so in this case, I am submitting to God. I am yielding my authority, I am yielding my position, and I'm allowing myself to serve him and move and do the things that he's called me to do. I won't quit my day job because I recognize that I can't succeed trying to do the things that only God can. If I'm trying to play that role, again, I'm out of position. I won't succeed. While we are busy worrying about things and trying to control the narrative and outcomes of certain situations, Jesus, similar to what the text tells us, Jesus already has in his mind what he is going to do. That's such an important point because we worry about all these different things and the outcome of all these different things, but Jesus already has in mind what he's going to do. It is inefficient for us to worry about the how. It is inefficient for us to do that when God is already on top of that. We are responsible for getting out of the way and letting him do his job. Look at your neighbor and say, let him do his job. I, I absolutely love this quote. It's from A.W. Tozer, another quote from him, but here's what it says. It says, the reason why many are still troubled, still seeking, still making little forward progress is because they haven't yet come to the end of themselves. We're still trying to give orders and interfering with God's work within us. When I'm not, when I'm not in my position, when I'm not allowing God to do what I can't do, I am interfering with God's work. When I am not submitting to his will and to his authority, I am not allowing God to do his work. I am in that moment, I am in the way. And trust and faith are at work when I pivot from worrying about how and start looking forward to the when. And this is kind of a double entendre, right? When I stop looking at and stop worrying and I pivot from worrying and, and worrying about the how and start looking forward to the when, as in W-H-E-N, when it will happen, and then also the when, W-I-N, as in overcoming the situation, that is when trust and faith are actually at work. When I stop worrying about how and start looking forward to the win. And that's where we have to be. That has got to be our position. That has got to be our mindset. I've got to stop worrying about the how and start looking forward to when this 
will happen. That's, that's the role that I have to play. Because anything other than that, I am in the way. Anything other than doing what God has called me to do means that I am out of position and I am not doing what God has purposed for me to do. We get so frustrated. We get so frustrated when we try to take matters into our own hands. And we wonder and we question, why is this not working? Why is this not coming to pass? Why am I unable to, to get rid of these feelings? Why am I unable to progress? Why am I seeing little forward movement? And it's because we have not completely turned it over to God. Again, the quote we just read from A.W. Tozer is that, listen, we have not come to the end of ourselves yet. I think that is the struggle that we have as people at the state of our country. We have not come to the end of ourselves to realize that none of this foolishness and none of this craziness that's going on will ever subside until we all come to the end of ourselves and we submit ourselves and we submit the rule and our decisions and our, our pride and all of that. When we submit that to God, that is when things begin to change. But until then, we are just in the way. And we've got to allow God to do the things that we can. I think the first thing is recognizing that, listen, I can't do everything. I can't do this. I, I, I'm not good at this, right? Like, like I, I'm not as good as I could be if I allow God to take on what he, what he wants to take on. I am not performing. I am not behaving. I am not at my optimal speed or my optimal progress when I am not doing what God has only purposed me to do. And so if we ever want to move forward, if we ever want to make progress, if we ever want to see change, if we ever want to stop being frustrated about the things that we can't control, then we have to allow God to take the reins and we have to allow him to lead. And that is how we move forward. That is how we make progress when we come to the end of ourselves and we allow God to do what only he can do for us. Every head bowed and every eye closed today. Thank you for tuning in to today's message. I hope it blessed you and pray that whatever you take away today gets sown deep into your heart and you apply it to your day-to-day -day life. If it was as good to you as it was good to me, please share this message with someone and let's continue to grow together. Part of our vision here at The Grove is to be givers like Christ. If you were blessed by today's message and you wanna partner with us in your giving, all you have to do is text GIVE to 844-831-4106 or visit yourgrovechurch.org slash give. If you're looking for a community to be a part of, we would love for you to call the Grove Church home. And to get connected to us, you can simply text GO to 844-813-5747 or shoot us a DM on one of our social media platforms. I pray blessings over you wherever you are and wherever you go and can't wait for you to join us next time. Peace.